All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. I'm Dean, and uh, again, we have another unbelievable episode planned for you. And this is going to be one of my favorites because I get a chance not only to facilitate a difficult conversation, but I have the opportunity to learn and to come out better on the back end of this conversation than when I entered it. So I am joined today by a guy who has recently become a good friend of mine. He is a guy that I train with in the mornings, and he is one of the most inspirational and energetic people that I've ever met. This is Mark Schuppetta. How you doing, Mark? Uh, I'm doing great. I, I love it. Inspirational and energetic. Perfect. So You see me energetic at, at 536 in the morning, so... Seven o'clock at night is a little bit difficult for me, but we're gonna we're gonna do it tonight. Ab absolutely. So, Mark, what's it been? We've known each other for what a little over a year now. Yeah, a little over a year. Um, and uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think I bumped into you a few times here and there back in the old days, uh, maybe mm -hmm. over at Bishop. Um, but yeah, a little over a year, and you know, training at the, at the gym that we train at and the, the closeness that we all have together. I, it's kind of like a real cliff notes version of friendship. It comes on real quick, you know, especially when you, you know, you're, you're rolling around with like my wife says, sweaty guys. <laughs> <laughs> you get to know each other pretty well. Yes. That's very, very intimately. So to put a little context yes. to that, folks, Mark and I, we both train um, in jujitsu. If you follow, if you follow supply the why you've heard me mention that from time to time. And what makes that small niche community even tighter for us is we do it at 6 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're up at the crack of dawn uh, and we meet up and, you know, we, uh, we've gotten to know each other quite a bit from that. So just having that bond of A, being uh, martial arts practitioners, and then B, being crazy enough to want to get up uh, <laughs> and do it first thing in the morning uh, has made us uh, fast friends, so to speak. So, Mark, yeah, we have to talk a little bit about the journey that you and your sons have been on through uh, through a very rare form of muscular dystrophy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's like, where do you begin? Um, you know, I'm the executive director of the Wheelchair Strong Foundation. We've, we've only really been in existence for about three and a half, uh, four years, I believe. But I've been advocating and raising money for... Uh, Duchenne's or DMD, as as we can kind of call it going forward, uh, since uh, my sons were diagnosed, uh, and they were diagnosed um, unusually, you know, different circumstances than most. You know, most families uh, have a diagnosis of Duchenne muscular dystrophy at four or five, six years old when they're when they're childs, typically boys. Uh, it's pretty much a, a male related. Uh, disease, although there are a few rare cases of females that actually have it. And, you know, I can't get into the science end of it because I'm, I just kind of struggle with that whole part of it. But um, there was a family history in um, Troy and Andrew's um, uh, mother's family. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were made aware of that when the twins were born, we went for genetic testing. And then, um, you know, two weeks later, the nurse came into the hospital and, and gave us the, uh, you know, the devastating news. Um, so I've been I've been fighting it for their 25 years old. Amazing young man. I've been fighting it with them, you know, with the family for 25 years. So I really I really haven't stopped, you know, since then. So where most people get a diagnosis around five, six years old because they're their, their son is tripping and falling and, and having difficulty hitting some of those milestones as as a, a young child should um, should have. Um, I mean, like walking and things like that, those kind of like walking, walking running, falling. falling. Yeah, an unusual gait, you know, it's called like a Gower's movement. It's, an it's like a gallop when you walk. Uh, and then they go in to the doctors and they usually test them for, for Duchenne's and you know, the rest is history. We, we knew at, at a very early age, <laughs> birth practically, uh, that my sons were going to, uh, you know, grow up. And I knew from day one that they were going to, um, you know, especially as a parent, you know, these healthy, little, beautiful boys, I knew, you know, someday that they were going to stop walking, going to stop walking unless something happened medically. Um, you know, so, yeah, it was definitely a challenge, so you know. Especially as a young adult, I mean, I was a young kid. I was, we had my, my, you know, their mother, my ex-wife and I, who, uh, who were, you know, we're great friends to this day, you know, we're, we're in our early twenties. You know, I think nine of children that are, 
in their mid to late 20s. My oldest child, my daughter Elizabeth, is 27. So I think I had her when I was 23, 24 years old. So I was a baby myself. So being emotionally equipped to, to tackle that was uh, <laughs> certainly a challenge. So, Mark, while you're on that subject, can you circle back to what that what that what was that conversation like when the doctors came in? You said after two weeks to to tell you that your sons suffered from this. I mean, like, how did you even process that? Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Um, just uh, second by second, minute by minute. You know, it was uh, denial. A lot of different emotions go through your head when you get a diagnosis like that. You know, because it's it's so conflicted because you're looking at these precious, healthy, you know, little babies that don't seem like they're sick you know but but you know they are and then you know and then the you know and i admit it, it's something i've lived with my whole life and something that i i struggle with my whole life and i have some dark moments in my life that you know being a, a young person knowing you know dating and marrying my, my son's mother and you know learning well kind of hearing that there was some sort of an illness in the family but not knowing what it was because it was nothing in my face uh, and then, and then finding out that there was uh, there was a history in their family of this disease, uh, which prompted us to go have them tested, was kind of a, a shocker. You know, when you're young, you're you're young and dumb, and you're 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 filled with uh, piss and vinegar, and you don't even care. You know, and then all of a sudden, you grow up really fast when a nurse walks in and says that you're you know, that your sons have this disease and then you start researching the disease and then you start seeing what it's really about. And then it, you know, kind of hits you over the head. So I, yeah, I it puts strain. strain on a marriage, strain on, on everything, a lot of different emotions. So when did you start seeing um, the Duchenne start to take effect and it's starting to manifest itself in their lives? Um, probably six, seven years old. You know, slowing well, down, walking, struggling to get up a step, you know, make it up to a second step and a third step, things like that. Uh, you know, that yeah. getting up off the ground, uh, you know, so you, so you, you kind of, you know, project how things are going to go. And and things have advanced so far medically, especially with this disease. And I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but they but when they were diagnosed, you know, you're you're searching for organizations and people, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, you know, this person, that person that can just give us any kind of information to make us feel better. Um, you know, what? what's down the road medically? Is there gonna be a, uh, you know, cure, treatment, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and back in the early 1990s, when they were born and diagnosed it, um, there were, wasn't much there. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of hope. There wasn't a, a lot of optimism. So that kind of, put, you know, put our, you know, put our marriage, you know, in a difficult spot, you know, their mom and I ultimately ended up, uh, you know, splitting up, which, uh, you know, it is what it is, you know, it happens to a lot of people, no matter what, but uh, that put a strain on us. Um, and <laughs> it's funny, a, a mutual friend of ours, and I, I tell the story to a lot of, a lot of people, you know, after, after the kids, mom and I split up, you know, we already had a toddler, my oldest daughter, who just got married, is 27. Then the twins came along two years later. Um, you know, when we split, I went and moved into an apartment like any young 20-something-year-old kid would do if he's getting divorced and uh, kind of sunk into a depression and wasn't uh, wasn't myself, you know. And um, uh, a good mutual friend of ours who you had on last week briefly, Frank Brack, you know, from uh, Brack's Tap and Grill, he's pretty much the one that – grabbed me the, by the back of my hair. I, I had hair back then. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 said, you know what? <laughs> it said, you know what, get, get off your, uh, I, I promised you before the show, I wouldn't curse. So get off your, your tuchus and uh, <laughs> stop doing something with yourself. Stop, you know, stop gloating, stop being so depressed, stop being so upset and, uh, you know, do something about this. So, uh, I still have the newspaper clipping in my office, and it's actually the picture that's on the top of our website at wheelchairstrong.com, a picture of me and holding the two kids, the twins, when they were little. That was our first media uh, story at the in the Brockton Enterprise uh, when they were like four or five years old. And uh, from then on, I, I've pretty much been uh, a wrecking ball. <laughs> 
so when he said do something, what were some of the first steps you started to put in place that um that ultimately led to wheelchair strong? Because I'm sure at first you're like, ah, do something. Your first thought wasn't like, okay, I'm going to start wheelchair strong. Like there must no, have been no, no, wheelchair strong for twenty, almost twenty years later. You know, I think anyone or any person that has something in their life, if, if something hits you like that, you just want to feel like you can do something, even if it's just holding a can in front of a, you know, a supermarket and, and collecting money, you know, or, or just, you know, me personally, I started with just a few small uh, local, you know, benefits and, and fundraisers and, and things like that. And I, I always try to do things even before I started my foundation that, that brought some sort of an entertainment value or, or something fun for the kids. I remember when the kids were, were little, they, they were really into the WWF. So I hired WWF wrestlers and I rented the high school and I wrestled myself and, you know, raised money that way. So I always tried to do something that, um, you know, uh, the twins always um, wanted to, you know, they were really into sports, you know, and that, that I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets in life is that, you know, when we fast forward to this interview and we start talking about uh, what they're involved in now with the, the USA team and power soccer, you know, when they were little, they were very rugged, athletic, tough kids, you know, they're twins, you know, beating the snot out of each other and just, just typical boys, you know, and, and and I kind of purposely held them back from, you know, playing little league or doing T-ball because I knew in my head what was coming, you know? So I've always felt guilt for, for not doing that or, or getting them involved in sports. So we would play sports ourselves, you know, in the backyard and, and, you know, they had ATVs when they were like six driving around in my backyard. And, um, you know, they, I felt guilty that they never got to be on a team. So I organized a, a whole baseball tournament and, and, uh, and got them uniforms and, you know, you just do what you can as a parent survival mode, you know, and you just try to try to, you know, do the best you can for your kids and, and then show them that strength, you know, and, uh, and weakness at the same time. So Mark, let me jump in real quick. So yeah. you, you, you talked about wanting to involve them in sports and activities. Yeah. What was organized? Was I mean, was there a lot that was organized back then, or was it? I mean, did you really have to dig deep to try to find things that were right for them? Well, I mean, they were always baseball fans, and you know, they didn't really press me too hard when they were little to to play sports because I think they innately just knew that that they that they were they were different anyways, you know, because the doctor's appointments were you know, from the very beginning, from the very start, you know, we had to set up doctor's appointments with physical therapists, neuromuscular doctors, uh, pulmonary doctors, cardiologists, everything, you know, it, it's been a process their whole life to, you know, to, it's kind of like owning a car and you have to just keep that maintenance going. And, you know, you can keep a, you can keep an old car forever if you take care of it. So, you know, Trent and Andrew are, are getting older, so I plan on keeping them forever because I've been, <laughs> I've been doing a heck of a lot of maintenance. I've been changing the oil on those two kids for 25 years of their life, you know, pretty much every day, you know, to, to keep them here and keep them happy and, and, you know, motivated. But yeah, yeah. I mean, baseball, soccer, little league, things like that, that kids did. They just, I didn't really put them in those sports where kids don't put themselves in those sports. Their parents do when they're four or five years old. So I never mm -hmm. really did that. Um, but they ended up, growing into these huge, you know, sports fans. So later in life, when, when wheelchair soccer came into their lives, it was, it was a blessing for all of us, you know, but, um, you know, we can touch on that, I guess in a, in a little bit, but so. I think this is a perfect opportunity since you brought it up. Since <laughs> yeah. you brought it up. Right. Well, there we go. Let's, let's tell yeah. people, let me show, well, let me show people exactly what that is. I have a quick video that I want to show people. So they get a visual of what of what you're talking about, and then we'll circle back and we'll talk more, and you can put some meat on the bones as to what it is, and and, and really how high of a level Andrew and Troy have reached. So everybody, yeah. stand by. I'm going to show a quick video, and we'll give you a little bit of understanding of what Mark's talking about here.
The um, evolution of power soccer has been incredible. It's been crazy. It is the fastest growing um, adaptive sports uh, program in the country. You know, it takes real skill. As long as you're disabled and you can drive one of these wheelchairs and you have the aptitude to play this sport, you can play. I always had that competitiveness and I love to watch sports on TV, so I wanted to do one by that I can do by myself. You know, it kind of transcends uh, the restriction of the chair. This is a real sport. It, it's cool to have fans watch you. Last year, one of our games went to like triple overtime. The level of competition is a lot higher when you go to the national tournament because it's the best team and you want to come out of there with the first place trophy. Prior after winning the national tournament uh, a couple years ago, it was really cool. The whole gym surrounded our game and they were cheering for both teams. I think that was one of the coolest moments of going to nationals. Having all of those players in the higher division, having the Team USA coach watchers. I never thought that I would be on Team USA. Never thought that I would have the independence that I have now. If I make Team USA, it would be a really good accomplishment. That's, what I'm, that's my goal right now. That's what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to play for the national team. My goal as a power soccer player to one day be the goalie for Team USA and also to be known as one of the best goalies in power soccer and hopefully help them win another gold medal in 2021 in Australia. One of the best goalies in power soccer. Pretty cool. It's an awful video, Mark. It's real. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's um, one of um, my uh, wheelchair strong or my productions that uh, I kind of came up with the idea and uh, to do a film on power soccer. And we're actually just wrapping it up now. It was um, we went into production about two two years ago. And it's funny. I look at my youngest son Max, who's uh, being interviewed in it, and he's uh, since. Uh, you know, hit the big P word there that teenagers hit and doesn't look anything like that anymore. But, um, you know, I guess just to digress, uh, you know, a little bit, and then we'll get into that just so people know that, you know, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's a neuromuscular disease. It's a, it's a muscle wasting disease. Um, they lack a protein called dystrophin in their body. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm not going to get into the genetic side of it cause I, I'm not very good at articulating that, but, um, so they stopped walking around, you know, so they, most kids, all kids with Duchenne's start off looking healthy. They start declining around five, six years old. Uh, by the time they're, I'd say anywhere between 10 and 14, depending on the, on the kid, uh, end up in, in wheelchairs. Uh, and then typically by the time that they're 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, they start to lose, um, you know, some of the upper body function with their uh, upper body strength, you know, feeding themselves, uh, toiling themselves, things of that nature. And, and most boys with Duchenne's are in wheelchairs full time from, you know, 14 years old onward for the rest of their life. Um, you there, Dean? I don't see you. I'm here, man. What you're saying now is worthy of the full screen. So I'm just going to. I'm just gonna I'm like looking at myself. You're, no, you're, 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 you're a handsome guy, and I'm sure everybody wants to see you. But seriously, Mark, keep, keep going, man. I'm just going to. I'm going to jump out. This is all about about you and Andrew and Troy right now. Keep going. You were saying? No, I mean, where where did I leave off? So I mean, I'm just trying to get kind of paint the picture a little bit. So, you know, I think one of the most um, difficult things for for me as a parent, and I think all parents is that you know they especially my sons or kids with duchenne's you know they start off um, being like everyone else running around playing um tackling kids you know doing everything that that little boys do and as they got older and stopped you know walking and and, ha and had to transition into a wheelchair now that it was um it, you know and a lot of a lot of parents and i counsel a lot of people that have uh you know, children with this disease uh, in various stages um, will struggle to want to put their kids in, in a wheelchair because they don't want to have, you know, 
becomes more of a selfish thing, you know, where they don't want to see their kid in a wheelchair. But um, putting a kid in a wheelchair when they're struggling for years to walk and then giving that giving them that new independence uh, is is a pretty magical thing for them, <laughs> especially the chairs that they have nowadays. You know, they're all souped up and do all kinds of crazy things. You Mark, know, so can I have you clarify that something? Can I have you clarify that? So you yeah, said sure. it was, so let's you said it was a struggle for the parents to even make that decision in the first place, yes? Yes. All right. So talk a little bit about the struggle to you know, what's going through your head when you're struggling to even make that decision. Like why why is that? What what made it made it such a difficult struggle? I mean, because nobody wants to, I mean, it's just the whole stigma that goes, I guess, behind someone being in a wheelchair, you know, and um, sorry, I'm patting my dog as I'm talking. Um, you know, there is a stigma with it. And, you know, and I think maybe sometimes it's a selfish stigma when you, you know, you're thinking more about yourself and, and what people are going to think or say, and you're not really thinking about your, your children. Uh, so, you know, for me, and, you know, and that was one of my battles with, um, you know, no way am I being derogatory, but that was one of my battles with with mom, you know, their mom. And, you know, moms are moms, you know, moms, <laughs> moms are a different breed than dads, you know, and I'm a little bit more of an aggressive type of a of a father. But, um, you know, she didn't really want to accept it, which I which I understood. Um, but kids with this illness, it makes more sense to go into a wheelchair. Uh, to preserve uh, your muscles that you have left because it's a muscle wasting disease and they atrophy. Uh, so you, it's better to put them in there and not have them struggle or strain or trip or fall, potentially hurt themselves. Uh, so, you know, I put them in wheelchairs at, at a fairly young age and it, it gave them a, a new sense of independence. Um, you know, at school, whatever, you know, we adapted, we bought a van, we, we figured it out, you know, we put a ramp in our house. It is what it is. You, you know, it's fight or flight. And for me, it's always been fight. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I tried to flight a little bit in the very beginning, you know, but then I became a fighter. Um, and I think that's made a difference in, in my kid's life, um, seeing how crazy that dad can be. Um, so, you know, so that whole transition into wheelchairs and then seeing their friends starting to grow up and, and do things that they can't. I, mean, I remember it vividly and, you know, it, it <laughs> It's probably one of the reasons why, you know, I, I sold my sold the house that they lived in growing up and, you know, kind of went to a, a different place. And is that I used to watch them sitting in the picture window, just staring at the kids running around out front and in the outside and not coming to knock on the door and want to hang out with them anymore. You know, so it, there's different stages and, you know, and I never blame their friends because they're kids, you know, and, and, it, and it's hard for them as well to see their good friends have to change and they don't know how to cope with it or deal with it. So, you know, you can't, you can't slight kids. Um, so no, you, you can't Mark. Can I just talk you know, about and then, Mark, Mark really quick? Yeah. That's one of those nuggets yeah. that makes this so important because that was a huge mind blown moment for me when you just mentioned that aspect of there they are, they're sitting in that, in that, in that living room window, that picture window that, that a lot of us that grew up in the seventies and eighties were in houses that had yeah. something like that. And having them yeah. sit and watch their friends play, and wonder why, why, why they can't be out there? Why, why you know, why me? Um, that can't be out. Mm. That, that had to be heartbreaking as a parent to have to to have to watch that, mm. and maybe even have to explain it to them. I'm, I'm sure. Did I mean? Were there ever times where they asked? You know, how come? Yeah. We're always a pretty open and fluid family, conversation wise, and. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and it's one of these diseases that, you know, it's physical, like they, they don't, you know, and I'd say to myself sometimes, well, if I was going to have to have disabled children, you know, it might have been easier if I had a disabled child who cognitively wasn't there, so they wouldn't know, you know, what's wrong with them, so they wouldn't feel that pain, you know, and having kids that had to, you know, watch themselves deteriorate and, and see things change and, and, and be bright and smart, you know, it just, it, it makes this disease that much more, um, you know, you know, vicious. And, you know, so that, that was always, always tough, you know, and we still go through that today to this day and, and they go through it. And I mean, 
Christ, they, 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 they amaze me. They're, they're super, super strong. And, you know, and as a parent, you also have to balance that, that strength with that, with that weakness. And, you know, that, that was always kind of a, a struggle for me. I, I've learned, I think as I've gotten older to be a little bit more, you know, sensitive to, to things, you know, and show my vulnerable side, you know, so it's, uh, it was tough, you know, it's tough, but, you know, to take something positive when they were 12 years old, someone in our organization said, Hey, you know, there's this really cool sport that's growing for disabled kids. It's called power soccer. And, um, they had, uh, a rec they had a recreational team at the uh, Massachusetts hospital school in Canton, which is like a state facility. Um, kids with all different types of uh, illnesses live there. Uh, but outside people could come in and play. So I, I brought them there to check it out. And, um, and how old <laughs> was how how with you, it. you brought them there, Mark? How old were you when, how old were they with, with Troy and Andrew when you? Oh God, I did 20, I think they've been playing at 25. <sighs> They'll probably tell me that I'm wrong, but I, I think like 13 years old, maybe like eighth grade or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and what you saw in that video or people saw in that video, um, those are, those are pretty high tech chairs. Troy and Andrew own their own power soccer chairs. They, they took their own loan out. Those are $8,000 a chair. Um, the, wow. when the, when the sports started, they were using their own personal wheelchairs. And what we were doing was, um, putting little plastic crates in front of them and we'd screw them into the foot plates and then the chairs were overheating and insurance companies weren't fixing them. And, you know, it, it was a nightmare. And then, uh, you know, this company in Minnesota called the Power Soccer Shop, as the sport was evolving, in invented this, this sport chair. Uh, and, you know, the sport chair was, um, you know, a game changer, you know, for these kids, where eventually now everyone in the sport, and there's hundreds of wheelchair soccer players. Um, you're welcome, Michael. Um, there's hundreds of um, wheelchair soccer players in the, in the country and thousands in the world. Uh, it just became an elite sport and, and to see, and I knew they were going to be great athletes because even just kicking the ball around in the yard as kids, they just, they just had the it factor. You know, some kids just have that it factor when it comes to sports, you know, so that also beat me up as a parent knowing that, oh my God, my kids are like great athletes and I know they're going to stop walking. And I know that, you know, I didn't put them in a sport. And if I put them in a sport, uh, and then they start having difficulty and then they have to leave the sport because of their illness. You know, it's that struggle, that internal struggle you're having with yourself as a parent where you're, you know, I didn't put them in the sport to protect them. <laughs> but then was that the right choice to make as a parent? You know, you, you ask yourself that all the time. But um, power soccer, they were in their world. They were amongst themselves. They were amongst, you know, and these aren't all just Duchenne kids. You know, it's a sport that's male, female all different disabilities as as you saw in that video with uh with nate the gentleman in the, in the uh green outfit he he broke his neck and got some sort of viral infection or something and you know ended up uh in a wheelchair later on in life so it's all different disabilities and then the twins just rose to the top like they just became two of the best players in new england then then they're like you know dad you know we want to make team usa someday I'm like, okay, you know, I, I've never, and I never discouraged it. You know, if you want to make Team USA, you make Team USA. Um, tell us more about that conversation. Up. Mark, tell us more about yeah. that conversation. That that must have been an unbelievable conversation. Yeah, you, you know what? It, they, they, I never doubted them because they were always so good. Um, but we started competing in the national tournament going out to Indiana now, you know, let's freeze frame this for a second because because they're 25 years old. You know, right? most parents that have 25 year old kids, you know, are done with sports unless they're a pro. And so they're technically professional athletes to me because it requires a lot of travel, a lot of time, a lot of commitment. Uh, now that, you know, so two years ago prior to um Actually, a year and a half ago, October of, oh God, it's when uh, Joel Lozon was, was fighting in the garden. You, I know you were at that fight. So whenever yeah, that was, I would a couple of years, couple of years ago, we'll do call. 
I was in Minnesota mm -hmm. and they got invited to try out for Team USA. So they both got invited to try out. So now we're in the dilemma that one could make it, one may not make it. Um, so that became a problem, <laughs> you know, for me. You know, and I'm like, well, going how, did back they, how did they? What was their thought process about that? I mean, because clearly, Troy and Andrew, <laughs> both intelligent kids. For everybody that's yeah. out there, like I've had a few conversations with Troy and Andrew, yeah. unrelated to this mm -hmm. show, and they're both yeah. very intelligent. So, what was that like with reality? each other, but they trash talked a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. You know, and for me as a parent, I'm like, oh. So when I remember when the it was like getting the phone call that, you know, your, your wife's going into labor or something. And it's like, you know, I got, they got the phone call and I, I was here at my home in Carver and, and they were at their mom's at the time in Brockton. And they both called me like, we both made it, you know? So I hoofed them out to Minnesota to try out for team USA. Um, so there's a lot of travel. We're going to uh, Indiana in April. We resume practice. So things got, we were supposed to be in Australia this October 2021 for the world games and COVID ended that, you know, so now it's pushed to 2022. So now we're resuming practice again. And every three months I have to take uh, four kids and I mean, two kids and four wheelchairs to, to Indiana to practice. Uh, and it's not an easy proposition. Let me tell you. I, I'd imagine it's not. I assume that you're driving out there when you do that too. That's not like, hey, let's jump on an, on a, on a plane. We um, we flew the last few times to Indiana. We flew, which is which is a struggle. And um, it's uh, you know, it's uh, to me, my wife would rather me fly because because she knows how I am as far as driving and getting tired so but this time i rented a van and we're, we're going to drive out but uh, you know me i'm 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 you know best at five six in the morning so we'll be we'll be hitting the road pretty damn early and they they can just sleep but you know but now my youngest son max is 15 he's taller than me and you know he's he's at that age now where it's a family thing and he's he's now a helper you know, so he raised his right hand and I deputized him. <laughs> Mark, can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges with flying? So, and, and the reason for that is a lot of us as parents, we complain about bringing our kids that don't suffer from, from any of these afflictions on flights. Because, you know, sometimes it's closed. Kids can be a pain in the butt sometimes when, when, when they're yeah. closed in spaces. So what are some well, of the additional challenges that you're facing with Troy and Andrew? Well, I mean, for anyone in a wheelchair, it's a challenge. And you know, it, it'd be nice if airlines would, um, you know, would adapt their planes for, for people that, you know, are in wheelchairs. And, you know, so for them, we, you know, we have to, we have to get in there extra early. We have, they use a, a transfer chair, you transfer them to one of those chairs, bring them in, then we get transfer them onto the seat, you know, and then they bring their wheelchairs underneath the plane. And, and that's, that's the that's the most stressful thing, and anyone that's listening to this that travels with someone that has a wheelchair will will understand that we, you know, we'll be sitting on the plane because they board us first, and we'll be sitting on the plane, and then I'll be looking out the window, watching the the crew struggle to get their chair on that little conveyor belt. These are fifty thousand dollar chairs. These, these are their legs. That's like taking my legs off or your legs off and handing them to someone and say, well, give them back to me after the, and hopefully, you know, no one drops them or steps on them or kicks them or whatever. Like these are their legs. So that's, uh, it's, 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 it's a struggle. It's anxiety, but it's, um, you know, it is, uh, it's worth it. But plane seats aren't comfortable for their, for kids. The people in wheel or adults, I shouldn't say they're, they're my kids, but they're adults, but, uh, <laughs> But sitting in a wheelchair, you know, everything that kind of keeps you compact. You know, you have your side laterals. You have everything that keeps your hips and your legs straight. You get to sit on a plane. Now, all of a sudden, there's it's uncomfortable for someone. So, well, how the heck we're going to do going to Australia? Like, honestly, I have no freaking clue. Uh, but I, I, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. That's what I tell the kids, you know. Let's get through COVID. Let's get the Team USA training done. And, you know, if I have to drive you to Australia, I will even though there's water involved. <laughs> so, so Mark, you know? this is a perfect segue. There's a question that um, we have another viewer yeah. that is also a Duchenne's mom. So Aaron wants to know how COVID oh. has affected the boys' training. 
oh, COVID halted the whole season. The season, the season was canceled. The whole soccer season was canceled and USA training was canceled for a year. We're just, we're just finally getting back into USA training. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, and it, and it really stunk, it, you know, it stunk for these kids because, because they look forward to it. And, and it's, and it was lousy for us parents because we've become a family. Like I'm family with them and your, your children all, you know, they play sports and cheerlead sports, you know, it, it's, I miss them. I miss everyone. And, uh, you know, uh, I regret complaining that maybe I have to travel or, or this or that, but sure. you know, it's funny, the kid will, we'll, we'll go on like a 13 hour, uh, 13, 14 hour ride to Indiana. And, and I'll, and I'll start complaining that, you know, God, gosh, I've been sitting so long. And my kids would be like, really dad, <laughs> you know, we sit all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, point taken, you know. So, <laughs> little little hot sauce and ketchup on that foot, Dad. You know, before you put it in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, you know, we have we have we have fun. We we we, you know, it's. I don't know. My, I think everyone with this disease. I think everyone that's disabled. They're they're all special, and and their families are special, and you know, and and people just tackle it, you know, different ways. When when Troy and Andrew were diagnosed. Um, and I was shuffling and, and stressing out and wanting to raise money out. You know, I was flying around the country to go to seminars and conferences. And, and then I just thought to myself, you know what, that, that's not for me. You know, that's not that, you know, it's for some people, but it's not for me. Like, it's not for me to go to Washington, D.C. And, and talk to lobbyists or whatever. It just wasn't my thing, you know. And um, so I channeled my energy and, it, you know, everyone's got a purpose and there's people that need to, to do that. Um, but for me, it was, uh, you know, kind of come back home, you know, be home all the time, be involved in their lives and get them involved in things and, and keep them motivated and keep them positive and, and, and keep them knowing that, that just because they're disabled doesn't mean they can't achieve whatever they want to achieve in life. Well, fair enough. I have, so there's another question for you. So Mike yeah. wants, uh, has a comment and then a question. So he says, yeah. seeing my father with no legs in a wheelchair be able to drive mm -hmm. a car, take karate, play basketball, inspired me. How does seeing your sons play sports inspire you? It's a great, oh my. great question because I'm expecting big. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh. I mean, my, so my oldest child, Elizabeth, she's 27. She was, she was into dance. I know you're listening, Elizabeth, but aside from your 20 minutes, oh, you know, torture growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know how titles are like six hours, you know, and you're just waiting to see your kid. Hey, um, this is all and, you brother. My name's Bennett and I'm not in it. This is your you your thing. Yeah, right. I got two right. daughters. And <laughs> my youngest son, Max, is is more like uh you know, a version of me, you know, he's very artistic and not into this. We tried the sports when he was younger. I coached wrestling when he was younger, but he's more into the piano and the arts, which is amazing. Um, Try and Andrew. Well, when they started playing uh, power soccer, oh my god, it, it is the most. Uh, my daughter's comment said something right now. Yeah, she's laughing. I can't even see him. Yeah, that's that. her laughing. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, she's laughing at me, Elizabeth. Yeah, uh, amazing, amazing. It's absolutely the most. Like I, I can't even put it to words. It, it's. You got to come to one of these uh, tournaments. Like they are so exciting, and the and, and you know what? When you're there, Dean, like mm -hmm. you don't look at anyone like they're disabled. They're just people, and they're playing a sport, and they're competitive, and it's just uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And the and then the you know I think I've spoken about this lots of times on many news outlets and media outlets. You know that we've done interviews. And everyone kind of, and we talk about it in my film Power that will be out soon, is that everyone thinks, oh, your kids play wheelchair soccer. That's so cute. Yeah, well, you know what? Come watch it and you'll realize it's not cute. It's competitive. <laughs> and they're all for blood. And it's a real sport. And it's world level. And it's world class. You know, little, you know, there is, there is equivalent of little league version of wheelchair soccer. You know, some of the ones that start out. But when you get to the level my sons are at, it's it's the major leagues and it's uh it's pretty cool you know i'm proud to say i have professional athletes you know like my sons have more athleticism in their pinkies than i have in my whole body like it's crazy 
Well, you know, I say that with pride. Well, I know you say it with pride. And speaking of that pride, since you didn't bring mm. this up when Mike asked you this question, I thought that this was going to come up, so I'm going to bring it up. I have another right. video that I want to show of right. something that you did that motivated you to do something that most people would think that you're insane for doing. So check <laughs> this out, folks. All right? All you right. don't want to miss this spot. You know, my kids fight every day. You know, they, they lack a protein in their body called dystrophin. So it's a long-term gradual decline in motor and muscle function. They're fighting the ultimate fight. Me fighting, getting in the cage, getting the shit kicked out of me, that's nothing compared to what my sons go through. They fight every day. They have to fight physically. They have to fight emotionally. You know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. You know, when I decided to fight many years ago for you know, for my kids and, and for my cause, you know, it started off as a challenge. Then the challenge turned into something that I needed to continue to do, you know, you know, to raise money, to raise awareness, but also, uh, you know, for myself and for my, my own uh, inner strength and conviction. I need to do certain things, I guess, to be able to sleep at night uh, and be able to have the strength to, you know, take care of them, have the strength to, to advocate for them. And I don't do traditional shit, as everyone knows. Everyone that knows me, everyone that knows Mark Chapetta knows that, that, you know, that I don't go out and, you know, have bingo tournaments or fucking golf tournaments. That I go out and either get the shit kicked out of me in a cage fight or bring in some of the top comics around the world to, uh, to entertain. Getting in the cage, he's out of his mind. Honestly, I'm not okay with Mark getting back into a ring. It's ridiculous. At 49, the training becomes more difficult. The recovery becomes more difficult. No, I don't think it's gonna be a problem at all for Mark. You know, but I say go for it, Mark. I think Mark is crazy. He's doing it for Duchenne's and uh, I think, you know, screw it, be crazy. Father's fight, it means everything. It's having the strength and the energy to wake up every day and take care of my kids. It's having, you know, keeping myself alive emotionally. But maybe after this, a father's fight is irresponsible. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. That is awesome. So let me get Mark back in here. Uh, and like I promised you folks, he undersold it. When you asked what it would inspire him, he undersold it. He kind of left that little <laughs> nugget out, that huge nugget out that you are you so inspired and you are so enthusiastic about your sons <laughs> that you are willing to put yourself in the ultimate version of harm's way. So, Mark, yeah. I usually never have to tell you this. I, I usually never have to tell you to talk, but you got to talk more about that, man. Right. No, I know. I'm, I'm calling out because before we went on the air viewing audience, um, you know, Dean, Dean knows I have a little bit of a potty mouth. He, he challenged me to, you know, see if I could go the whole show without swearing. Well, technically, I didn't swear. The character that was in that swore. It wasn't me. So <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been, away. but no, Father's Fight's another one of my um, crazy visions, you know, that I've had. Why am I frozen? There we go. Um, yeah, it was uh, one of my, one of my visions, you know, I wrote it directed it and, uh, you know, co-starred in it because my kids uh, were the stars of it, my daughter and, and my wife who thinks I'm crazy. Um, and I was 49 when that was happening, turning 50. Now I'm going to be turning 52. So, uh, yeah, we won. We won. Um, we were semifinals New York International Film Festival, which I'm proud of. And, uh, I used to fight, you know, in the, in the way was uh, – um, back, oh God, many years ago, well, you're do a radio show at, at WXBR, WBET in Brockton, uh, the yeah. On the Mark show. It was like a private eye show. Mark, you're still with us? You froze up a little bit there. You still with us? One of your, one of Stoughton's, yeah, one, you there? Yep, I'm here, I'm here, yep. You good? Okay. You're frozen. Yep. 
So one, one, of, Stoughton, one, one of Stoughton's own came on my radio show, uh, Mike Varner. And, Who was in the video? He was and, in that video. Uh, challenged me to. Uh, he said he. Yeah, right. Mike. Mike came on my show, challenged me, and said that, um, that he would donate money to my charity if if I fought. And uh, and I was on air. I memorialized it. I said I would do it on the air. So what the heck? So I did it. So I used to fight every year to raise money for uh, for the kids and. I decided to make it into a film and uh you know and, and everything everything i do for you know with these with these events you know the the, the twins are and my family is involved uh and you know they're very talented young men and um you know so they they assist me and again it, it gives them something to do and keeps them motivated and, and uh, i don't know I, I you feed off people if they see me doing things you know it's uh motivates them to you know have a better outlook in life and well, Mark, uh, it is what it is man i'm you know well, i'm retired well said, but... i was gonna say well said on that because <laughs> it, it, it it's definitely it it seems like you're feeding off each other you're feeding off andrew and troy and 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 the energy and the passion they have for their power soccer they're feeding off you that you're willing to go in there and yeah. as you said get you know be, you know get the uh the uh mess beat out of you in a cage just to prove a point, like, you know, you know, for what your sons go through and the discomfort that they have in their everyday life, what is essentially nine minutes, um, if you make it the full nine minutes of, of discomfort? Well, like, what is that compared to what they go through for the for, uh, for part of 25 right. years? Well, I'll share two quick stories with you before we wrap up, because I'd like to get into uh, what the kids are doing now. But um, when I was filming that movie, I was called by you know, a, a Hollywood production company, a TV show called 60 Days In, which is an undercover prison show. And, you know, me being a, a licensed investigator by trade, they they asked if I'd be interested in spending 45 days in a prison down on the uh, border of uh, Mexico. And I said no at first. <laughs> and then, um, then they kind of persuaded me with the amount of money they offered me. And I figured it would be, be a way to bring great exposure to the to the charity. You know, and the kids kind of pumped me up and they said, Dad, you can do it. You can do it. And they're always so supportive of, of me. And, you know, I, I went through uh, the whole process. I flew down to Arizona, spent like four days in a, in a hotel before I actually was going undercover as a as a, and um, it was an A&E show. If anyone's seen it and they just berated me with questions and all that B-roll and that, and that, you know, tug on the heartstrings and. You know, are you afraid to go to jail? You know, you're an ex-fighter and a, you know, detective and this and that. And I'm like, look, you know, to quote like uh, Creed in that movie Creed, you know, or Rocky was was talking to Creed and he's like, you know, take a look in the mirror, you know, young man, you know, because that's always going to be your hardest fight in life is yourself, you know, so... <laughs> I'll go at it with anyone. You know that, Dean, just from knowing me in the morning. But but my toughest opponent is is this, is the stuff inside my head. You know, so by the time I was getting ready to go under, you know, I, I get the twins like and my daughter was taken to a huge doctor's appointment, medical trial, and I'm just a mental mess. And I and I get into I get in there and I'm locked down. I get into jail. <laughs> you know, again, TV show. I didn't commit a crime, and I lost my I, I lost my bleep after uh, after one night. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be away from him. I just I said, get me out of here. I just I couldn't do it. You know, like my head started talking to me, and I'm like, this was the wrong reason to do it. You know, the, the that this isn't part of the fight. The fight's back home, and you know, I incorporated that into my film is what, what I'm getting at, but. You know, it, it was a tough experience, uh, you know, for my big one night in jail <laughs> it, it, it really messed me up. But, but Mark, that just speaks um, to the type of, Mark, that speaks to the type of heart you have, you know, that that you were able to pass on that opportunity, which could have been a good opportunity for you to springboard more film type stuff. Um, it could have been something good for you personally, but yeah. you were too big of a man to let something that maybe might have been good for you overshadow your duty and your mission as a parent. And, and I, and I, for one, I, I, I take my hat off to you from, for that mock. I mean, that was, um, 
what you go through and what you've gone through for the past 24 years, 25 years is something that most people can't even imagine. So really quick. So kudos to you. Quick, I yeah. have a couple questions in the chat though, Mark. People, people want to ask you a couple things. Yeah. And I want to find out before we go what they're doing now. Well, so all right, what, so let what me, are the questions? Let me get to the questions and then we down, we're down under 10 minutes, yeah. man. All right. So, so the first question yeah. is how did you and Troy, how did you, Troy and Andrew handle the end of the doctors COVID and quarantine? Uh, all right, so this are is perfect. Increased this risk? Is segue into are there increased risks for Troy and Andrew, you know, having the DMD? Um, you know what? At first we thought there that there were increased risks, and then and then we started to realize after talking to the doctors and consulting with them and you know, keeping a close eye on them, is that they're they're on high doses of steroids, um, which helps treat their illness. And um excuse me, I think it helped build up some sort of a maybe an immune response or something. So um, they knock on wood, they've been good. Um, you know, prior to COVID, you know, when everything was, when everything was happening, I actually saw you, we had a big benefit for them, you know, for team USA. And then the news started to break and everything. Was that the and, one and right when that was happening. that the one in Whitman? Hmm? The one oh, that, Whitman, yeah. like, that was awesome, by the way. Awesome. But go on. Thank you. Um, so when, right when that was happening, you know, they were hitting another milestone in their life. Now, Troy and Andrew and their buddy, Mark, who they live with, check a lot of boxes in life. And they had just signed a lease to live in an apartment by themselves independently uh, over in Bridgewater. And you know, so I helped them get the apartment and then they got, you know, we lined up um, staff, PCAs, personal care attendants that help care for them, you know, because they're 25 years old, 24, turning 25, they, they, they want to live life. They don't want to be stuck home with their parents, what 25 year old does, you know? So I helped assist them in getting an apartment and right when they're ready to move in, um, the bleep hit the fan. And my wife, being a frontline nurse, didn't know what was no one knew what was going on. So I, I packed my bags and I moved in with them for the first uh, four months uh, in their apartment. I left my home. Uh, my wife was working around the clock. Uh, Mark, their roommate, hadn't yet moved in. He was delayed moving in. And I, I stayed with them and, and tended to them 24-7, you know, two disabled boys, uh, not knowing what was going to happen, thinking that we were going to die. You know, it was uh, it was tough. And then come June, they basically threw me out. <laughs> Said, you know, the warm weather was coming. The numbers were going down. They're like, they wants to finally move in. We want to have our own place. Get the hell out of here. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they've been living uh, – living admirably uh, ever, ever since independently. You know, people that will watch my films will see they drive, they work, they do a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, yeah, it comes with assistance, it comes with help, it comes with teamwork and effort, but there's people that are willing to, to put that time in and uh, Troy and Andrew specifically and their roommate Mark, um, they, they learn how to work with people and let people help them because they know that's gonna help them through their life. Well, Mark, that's a, no. uh, definitely a comprehensive answer there. Uh, so you certainly answered Heidi's question. So let's get to the last question here. The last question that I have for yeah. you is um, if if a part of the wheelchair breaks, can that be expensive? So talk about oh, that. Heck yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't realize that there's a, like a maintenance aspect too, like a, like a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Ma wheelchair maintenance is uh, extremely difficult and you know, luckily we have a, a good team around us and good wheelchair repair people that that will help us on the fly. And we do have, we, you know, we're lucky we have backup wheelchairs um, if there's ever any any issue. But um, yeah, it can be expensive. Insurance uh, will sometimes fight you on it. I, you know, I know when they first got their their new fancy, they get a new wheelchair every five years. And I know when they first got their uh, when they went into the uh, their most recent chair, I believe, or it might've been a chair before that the insurance company didn't want to pay for elevation, you know, and, which we had to fight it. We had to appeal it uh, because, you know, how ridiculous is that? So a, a, Mark, a Mark, talk young about man, some people might not know, what do you exactly do you mean by elevation really quick and then jump back in? They raise up. So, you, you know, so you just think of being down on the ground, sitting in a chair mm -hmm. and you're looking at someone's belly button. Well, a wheelchair raises up. Now maybe you can look someone in the eyes. 
uh, or you can eat at a hot top counter. And, and to someone that's disabled, that means the world to them. They deserve to be able to raise their chair up and look someone in the eyes. You know, and some of these chairs can go pretty damn high. Um, you know, so for an insurance company to deny that because they, for whatever reason, you know, they're, you know, I guess insensitive. It's all about all about the numbers at the end of the day. But we appealed it. We we fought it. And, you know, these chairs can do crazy things now. But, yeah, they're the, the more it's like anything. The more, the more fancy it gets, the more expensive it is to fix. <laughs> but, you know, but if you're going to be disabled, 2021 is the time to do it. Because, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, things weren't as, uh, you know, I mean, the American Disabilities Act and everything that's come along has, has really, really helped the disabled, you know, community in the world, uh, you know, treating, that, treating them equal, you know, which is, uh, which is important. And I, you know, I want to crack someone in the nose every time I see them even go near a, a handicapped spot if they're not handicapped. So, uh, but I don't, I refrain. Oh, that, that's that's good for everybody involved. Mark, we're down to under four minutes. So I know you want to get into that other right. story, but I don't know if we're going to make it. Can you I just need to the story. It's about them living independently. That's what I want to talk about. All right. You got three minutes <laughs> to talk about that and whatever projects that you got that you got going on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, they're living independently Bro, project wise. What do you got going on? What do you got coming up? Uh, we have Comedy for Cause 5. That's that's now free. It's on wheelchairstrong.com. You can check that out. There's some great comics on it. Uh, it's something that I just kind of envisioned doing. You know, everyone was complaining that there's nothing to watch. Every time you log on to Facebook, it's like, what are you streaming tonight? So I'm like, you know what? L let me hire some uh, well-known comics. Let's let's make it into, uh, into an hour special. And... Um, you know, the kids helped me edit it, put it together, and uh, sort of proud of it. It's uh, it's pretty cool. There's no paywall. It's free. If you watch it, you enjoy it, and you feel you feel like you want you want to contribute something, then then you know, feel free and um, and do that. Everything little, small doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah, that's it. And we got that go going on. And then, uh, Mark, Mark, where do they go to donate? Is it is it right up on the screen here? Wheelchairstrong.com wheelchairstrong.com and there's a link right on there um you know i think we're itching maybe next maybe in, in the fall to try to actually get back to having an event where people can you know co-mingle again and, and <laughs> like we used to so uh we've run some 80s nights uh maybe we'll do uh i'm told i'm too stuck in the 80s so maybe i'll i'll go even back a decade to the 70s just to piss people off so maybe we'll do a 70s night <laughs> so yeah we're all again all about having fun and every time we we run an event my kids are there they they have a little t-shirt business on the side they're selling t-shirts they're they're having fun they're interacting and and again it's about ability it's not about a disability it's about living life and you know tomorrow's not promised to any of us so why not why not especially them live it to the fullest today Mark, if somebody wants to order them, order a T-shirt from them, how can they get in touch with Troy and Andrew to do that? I think if I think there's a link on the wheelchairstrong.com website, or just hit me up on there. There's an address, and I'll, I'll get you some gear. They're 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 moving and shaking so much, I can't keep I can't keep track of them. You know, they got a different company every every week. Uh, you know, selling something. I you know, so I I don't. Good. Go go. Oh, thank you, Michelle. Go go to wheelchairstrong.com and uh, and connect with me. I, I'm I'm very accessible person. I'll answer you. I'll answer all of you as quick as I can because I'm type A, as you say. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just a little bit. Mark, we're down. We're down to the wire here. Man. Thank you so much for taking time out to uh to bring some awareness to what's going on with your sons, to the battle you're fighting every day. You're fighting the good fight, folks. Take a look at the bottom of the screen. If you'd like to donate or get more information, visit wheelchairstrong.com. Ask for Mark. This is this is the man that'll uh, that'll grease the wheels, and he will get you uh, whatever you need from his wonderful sons, Troy and Andrew. So, Mark, again, thanks again. Uh, hopefully, right. I will uh, I will see you hopefully next week. Uh, those you may not know, I'm a, I'm a little under yes. the weather. And uh, I, I cannot be there with my brothers in the morning, but I uh, but I miss you guys, and I hope to see you soon. So, on that note, so on that note, I just want to thank everybody again. You know, Mark just said thanks for having him, and uh, 
Thank everybody for taking time. Please like, share, and, uh, and, and subscribe to Supply the Wise so we can get more of these wonderful stories out there and we can bring more awareness to everything that's going on in the world. So for everybody, thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you again next week with another episode of Difficult Conversations. And as always, remember, hashtag Supply the Why. Good night, everybody.